Hello and welcome to New Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Cathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world. I bet you're thinking these guys have to be doing a reaction episode to the new uh, Many Saints in Newark. Sopranos, right? We're recording it tonight. It'll be in your feed on Wednesday. Um, I've already watched it. I'm biting my tongue. I'm not airing out my opinion until Wednesday's episode. That's something that you'll get, by the way, in the free feed if you're subscribed to the podcast. That's not just a Patreon thing, although there's so much good stuff on the Patreon from our deep dive episodes, New Jersey, the role-playing game, Garden State got goots. We're doing a bunch of interviews this month. We're, we're airing out, as expanding, right, interviews. Good old Bonaduce interviewed the longest tenured airbrush guy on the Jersey Shore. That's going to be on the Patreon later this month. To give you a little taste of the interviews, uh, here's one I did. I wanted to do an episode called How New Jersey Politics Really Work. And I realized that I don't quite know. And that the things that I have heard needed verification and explanation because I only had a tiny little bit of an idea. So what I did was I reached out to someone who's writing. I read a lot. I go to the website Politico quite often. It's one of the places where I get my news and they have a New Jersey playbook. Really lucky that uh, Matt Friedman writes that book. I went ahead, followed Matt on Twitter, said, I wonder if I could reach out to this person someday. Followed me back. I said, uh, let's go ahead. Let's do this interview. Would you be interested in explaining to me how New Jersey politics really work? He said, I just uh, listened to your Peter Genovese interview and I liked it. Let's do it. So now we're here. We're lucky we have somebody who makes a, a life and a living out of, out of sorting out the messy morass of New Jersey politics and writing about it to explain it to the rest of us. Here, breaking it all down. Everybody, this is how New Jersey politics really works, allegedly. So the bio that I would have just read in your intro, you have verified. It's up to date. People know your bona fides. And I've really only prepared one broad question for you. And then, and then there's a bunch of other tangents that this is definitely going to lead us down. So here's, here's the thing to get into it. Um, cause I'm, you know, I'm a New Jersey obsessive and enthusiast. I think, I think a lot of people out there, even in Jersey are going to be pretty shocked to kind of hear about how politics in Jersey goes down. I think a lot of people myself included up until the past couple of years, you think it works like this. You go to the ballot box and you vote for president and governor and senator on down the line through your state level, county level, local level. Those people get the job. They do the job. You vote for them if you like them again. And if not, it changes. But I've actually read that New Jersey has one of the most hard to sort out political systems left going in the country. And I am a New Jersey enthusiast and obsessive. And I can tell you this, I've tried to read up on how New Jersey politics really works. And I'm a pretty smart guy and I can't quite figure it out. I don't know that I would have any authority to explain it, even having read it back and forward. So Matt, you report on Jersey, 
you did it for years at the Ledger, which any Jersey people now know. Okay, you're at the Ledger. That's that's top of the Jersey game. Politico. I read Politico every day. That's how I came to learn of you when I saw there was the New Jersey playbook. Broad question: How does New Jersey politics really work? Yeah, I mean, maybe those of us in the press aren't doing a good enough job because it is. It can be very arcane. Uh, and it is uh, ex- it can be extremely complicated. And part of the problem is that we have uh, 565 towns, 21 counties, a state government, any number of uh, quasi independent authorities. There's a huge amount of government in this one state that's so small geographically. It, it can be mind boggling. But I, I think the most the biggest theme over the years in New Jersey politics and what still holds true is that we're a. Uh, a boss-driven political system, and we have—we always have been. Uh, you have essentially fiefdoms, some bigger, some smaller. Uh, some are a single political boss controls just a part of a county. Sometimes a political boss will control an entire county, and uh, sometimes a political boss will control half the state. These are people who, through various means, usually through the uh, distribution whether directly through the government or things tied to the government, it usually comes down to jobs. Um, They control who gets jobs. Those people have relatives. Those people uh, have people that they put on the payroll. And it's basically a giant system uh, of of patronage. That is a huge part of New Jersey politics, always has been. And uh, has it gotten a little more transparent over the years? Maybe, but... uh, it's, it's very much still in place. Some parts of the state, it's, it's more apparent than others. I feel like there are people listening right now who might be checking the date going, wait, this was recorded in 2021? Because <laughs> you think of machine politics, you think, uh, you, know, you think of Chicago back in the day, helping to get the Kennedys elected. And you hear a lot of legendary stories about uh, Jersey City. Um, oh, was sure. it, I, the Hague dynasty, Frank, Hague. Frank, yeah, Hague, Frank Grand Hague, Jersey City forever. I think a lot of people do not realize that this is still happening in our state and certainly not as hardcore as it is. The reason I've come to realize how entrenched we are is because there's a family and it seems like there's a family that sort of runs New Jersey politics, even though the guy in charge of the machine isn't even an elected official. Can you tell me... What's the deal with this Norcross family? And it seems like they call a lot of shots about what happens here from the top down. Yeah, there's there's four Norcross brothers. Um, Three of them are politically active. Uh, One, I think, is a is a a surgeon somewhere. He actually has nothing to do with politics. But really, it's it's there's one Norcross who really calls the shots. And that's George. he uh, is a uh, is from Camden County, uh, just outside Camden. He grew up. He's childhood friends with the New Jersey Senate president, Steve Sweeney. Uh, and he runs an insurance brokerage uh, called Connor Strong and Bucklew. Uh, even though his name isn't in the brokerage, he runs it. Just like, sort of like he's not elected official. <laughs> but he runs like he almost basically runs half the state. And he has uh, political tentacles that extend everywhere. Uh, he has perfectly quaffed white hair. It really like, God, I hope when I'm 65, like he is, I have hair like that. Uh, and I don't know how much that's the source of his power, but it doesn't hurt. And, um, uh, yeah, George Norcross is the most 
you know, other than the governor and, and the Senate president and the assembly speaker, I'd say he's the most powerful person in New Jersey. And the thing is, like, their terms end and their power goes away and his just stays. Uh, he has built a very elaborate patronage system. Uh, he commands pretty much uh, complete obedience uh, from South Jersey Democrats and uh, even some Republicans and has has relationships with a lot of very powerful people in in North Jersey. This is like, you know, when I started in New Jersey politics, the first day I remember uh, my boss who this is a whole other thing. But my boss was uh, he was anonymous at the time. He ran a site called politics and This turns out this was David Wildstein, who I'm sure we'll come back to later. Um, But uh, I remember he told me, oh, yeah, this is George Norcross's main guy. And I had to Google, who's George Norcross? Like, and then realizing this guy would, like, be a huge part of my life for the next uh, 14, 15 years. So how does a guy who is not an elected official get in a position where so many of our elected fi- officials have to kind of bow down at his altar just to get their jobs and get anything done by what methodology does this person attain this power well he goes i mean first of all i mean i shouldn't you know immense uh, political skill there with this guy i mean that's part of it but what it is is ultimately he built a huge fundraising machine and a huge patronage machine and he can simply direct millions of dollars at the drop of the hat from donors around the country he has close relationships, even with people like Harry Reid, people like Nancy Pelosi came into the district of his brother, who's a congressman from South Jersey, who's in a completely safe district that Democrats don't need to worry about at all. But Nancy Pelosi will still come in there for a fundraiser because that's how much money this guy can raise at the drop of a hat. Um, it started, I think, his first big victory as a political boss. He used to be a Camden County Democratic chair, but now he doesn't uh, have that title anymore, even though he's the most powerful person there. Uh, it started with a, uh, a state senator named uh, John Adler. Now, just off the top of my head, I'm not going to remember the guy who John Adler beat, but John Adler was a Democrat, a young guy, Harvard-trained lawyer. Uh, and uh, there was a senator and uh, George Norcross, his father. George Norcross is George Norcross the third. There's uh, George Norcross Jr. was his father. And uh, he wanted a, you know, just a a little position for his father. I believe it was a horse racing commission type position. And uh, the state senator, who I feel bad, I can't remember his name, just said no to him. And George Norcross said, "Okay, well, see you later. And uh, ran this guy, John Adler, and they beat him. And this was his first victory. I think this was 1991. So, God, I hope I get my facts straight on this. But uh, that was really his first way in. And from there, it just snowballed. And over the last uh, 30 years, he's become this incredibly uh, formidable force who, um, you know, is not just he is a Democrat. But Chris Christie was probably uh, the governor, the Republican governor of New Jersey. Chris Christie was probably the closest governor we've ever had to him. Uh, they were they worked extremely closely. And a lot of what Chris Christie accomplished, he was able to do. Uh, he, he wouldn't have been able to do with, without the help of George Norcross. So let's ask you about that, because I, I have wondered if this tied in, because it's funny. New Jersey is known nationally as a reliably blue state. I don't remember any presidential election in my lifetime where it's up in play and anybody's worried about Jersey. 
and yet in my lifetime, Tom, just off the top of my head, Tom Keene, Christy Todd Whitman, Chris Christie, we've had a series of Republican governors. Are these people who generally, is it, if a Republican can get on Norcross's good side, it might actually break that way? Is that what happened in the case of Christie? Does that help? Well, for Chris Christie, George Norcross um, did not officially help him become governor. But I, I think you can look at the South Jersey results when in 2009, when John Corzine, the Democratic uh, incumbent, lost to Chris Christie. You can look at the South Jersey vote and see they didn't quite come out. Um, the Democratic machine can can turn people out more if it wants to. And, and uh, right. they didn't really come out. But what. Um, in this case, I would say no president, but moreover, you know, New Jersey is a kind of weird state that way. Um, but, but other blue states do that, too. You know, Massachusetts has a Republican governor right now, for instance, and sometimes, and, uh, you know, Maryland has a Republican governor. But with New Jersey, it's uh, it used to be a swing state. I mean, I think the last time we voted for a presidential candidate uh, who was a Republican in New Jersey was 88. I think George H.W. Bush. Um, but since then, always Democrats. Uh, but voters in New Jersey are more have shown themselves more than willing for state office to vote for Republicans with or without Norcross's help. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just that they have been able to put their sort of, they've seen it on the federal level. They want Democrats in office. They haven't voted for a Republican U S Senator since 1972, uh, on a state level, they are willing to shake things up and elect a Republican if they think they're going to make a difference. And uh, that's what's happened a bunch of times. Uh, and in fact, with Phil Murphy running for re-election, it looks like he's in a pretty strong position for re-election right now. This will be the first time Democrats have actually re-elected a Democratic governor since um, uh, since uh, Brendan Byrne in uh, 1977. So it's really... Murphy might get arena. He might get an arena named after him if he, <laughs> he can pull it off. And now... From what I've read, there's a thing that happens even in democratic politics. When you go, okay, state politics are being firmly controlled by Democrats, governors Democratic, you should think this is a pipeline, that stuff's just going to get done, get done, get done. But what I've heard is that Phil Murphy has to constantly navigate Steve Sweeney, who is being kind of shadow directed, you might say, by George Norcross. And everyone knows this is happening and it's public knowledge. And I can figure this out in a paper. This is not like George Norcross is trying to keep this hidden at this point. It's in the ledger. It's in, you read about things in passing and this name comes up. So even internally, North Jersey Democrats, South Jersey Democrats, balancing the Norcross influence, even the governor has to play this game with these people. And there's been a lot of questions, right, about Murphy's kind of indicated he'd like to break the influence of the machines, but now it clearly seems like he's, with re-election coming up, he's got to play ball with the machines. I, I read a lot about this, and it must make your job pretty fascinating. You must see things that most people in New Jersey do not realize are happening all the time. Yeah, one of the frustrating things is that uh, a lot of times you know what's happening, but you don't have direct knowledge. You can kind of see it, but you can't prove it. And that's one of the most difficult things, I think, about any political port reporting, but especially in New Jersey, where so much is, happens below board. Uh, but to, to be fair to Sweeney, I do want to say, like, 
There's no doubt that Steve Sweeney owes his political career to George Norcross, his, his close friend. Uh, but Sweeney is a, a force in his own right. I think that's more of like a, uh, a relationship of, if not equals, but like a, you know, a, a relationship where they both have uh, power here. But certainly they're almost always on the same page, almost always. And when so they do brain trust. Yes, so I, I would say so. Yeah. I withdraw my previous comments. I'll make sure that I show proper respect to Steve Sweeney so that I don't. I'm just uh, doing this so these people talk to me again. Okay. Well, they have to talk to you. And look, <laughs> the last thing I want is like construction at the end of my block that lasts for eight months out of the year. I know these are things that can happen if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Um, I think it's probably easy for me to think of George Norcross as this puppet master merely because he is not elected. That's where it gets strange where you go, okay. His childhood friend has this immense power. He's not an elected official, and yet he kind of shares in that power and that brain trust. So let me amend it and say, Steve Sweeney, respect to you. Please, <laughs> the next time I go to the DMV, I don't want to get pulled into some side room because my name has been flagged, all this stuff. <laughs> Here's a thing I really have struggled to understand, even though I've tried to read up on it, that I think you'll probably be able to break down to me very quickly. My understanding is that part of the machine's influence is that New Jersey's actual, the way the ballot is actually printed is pretty specific here. And the machines have a lot of power over it that make it, how would I put it? Again, a lot of us think, oh, there's primaries and the people who get the most votes are going to be the one who get the slot on the thing that I'm supposed to push if I'm a Democrat. My understanding is that the machines are able to manipulate this in a way that a lot of people maybe don't realize if you're not kind of reading up on how it works around here. Am I right yeah. on that? Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is a very, very significant part. In fact, I think New Jersey is the only state that does it this way. So with most states, it's simple, it's straightforward when you go into the voting booth. You know, there's the name of the office, there's the name of the candidates who are running for that office, maybe a campaign slogan or affiliation put next to those. This is primaries only I'm talking about here. Uh, in New Jersey, we have in the all but uh, one or two counties now, uh, we have a balloting system that's referred to as, uh, quote unquote, the line. And what this is, is either a column or a row on the ballot that you see where the candidates who are endorsed by the county Democratic Party, which is, is controlled by a chairman who's often referred to as a boss. Some have more power than others. Um, and the county endorses a slate. So everything from like in this election, it's going to be the governor is at the top of the ticket. In 2020, the president was at the top of the ticket. But you run from everything on that same line down the ballot, like you just vote one down, you just keep voting straight down the ballot is what, at least that's what a lot of people do. So everything from governor to municipal office, the people who are endorsed by the county Democratic or Republican organization have that, are on that line. Uh, now, other candidates also appear on the ballot, say you're challenging a Democratic incumbent who has a county Democratic Party support. Um, you're on that ballot, but there's ways to manipulate the ballot in such a way that that candidate appears in what's referred to as ballot Siberia. So say every Democrat endorsed by the Hudson County Democratic Organization or a Camden County Democratic Committee is in column A, the first on the left, you know, the first column you see. And then the challenger uh, is often put out way out to pasture, like they're in like column like D and like row four. Like you have to actually search them out. So unless like you're a super informed voter 
and you really pay close attention to the way um, political organizations work in New Jersey, you might not even notice that person. It's just like, oh, these are the Democrats. This is the Democratic Party. This guy is running on the same team as Joe Biden. So I'll just vote for him. And I would say that uh, it's an advantage anywhere. But going back to Norcross, his, the Camden County Democrats uh, have done this more successfully than anyone in terms of manipulating this ballot. Uh, and they've done that. And I'm just going to say it because, like, they've run uh, fake candidates uh, many years, again and again. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, this, so this, is, this is the type of thing that you know about where I sit here and I start laughing because I go, man, this is for real. I had no idea about this. Yeah, this is... This is um, public knowledge that this has happened? I mean, I've written about it. You know, it's like uh, others have written about it. There is a Rutgers professor who's done some really good work uh, on this and, and written a study on it. Uh, but is it common knowledge the way they manipulate it? No, it's not. I mean, let me give you an example because this was, it was 2019 and, uh, it was candidates for, this was then called freeholder. It means County commissioner, County legislator, essentially. And, um, there was a group of progressives, uh, who were trying to get on the ballot. Uh, and then there was the Camden County machine backed candidates. And all of a sudden, all there was, I think, three or four pairs of other freeholder candidates got on the ballots with names like real progressives of Camden County, blah, blah, blah. But none of these people had a campaign website. None of them had any presence. Uh, they didn't even have like Facebook pages for their candidates. The most basic, like if you're running for office, you don't have even a Facebook page for your candidacy. Why? So I had to like search pretty hard to even find numbers for these people. Now, oh, first of all, I should mention, and this is. I wish I could take credit for this work, but a lot of this was done by a source of mine for this story uh, who dug up the petitions that these people had filed to run. And so the petitions against these people who are ostensibly uh, challenging the Camden County Democratic machine have signatures from all these people with jobs courtesy of the Camden County Democratic machine. How is that happening? So anyway, I finally got one of them on the phone. Right. I'm just going to read you this quote. I pulled this up just just for this because I figured we might talk about this. Um, I finally got this. His name was Jason. Witt. He was running under one of those random slogans. Doesn't matter what it is uh, for freeholder in 2019. And so what happened is you had this ballot where all these people, they were taking up space on the ballot. And so the real candidates who were trying to challenge the machine, uh, they eventually got kicked off the ballot for other reasons. Uh, but uh, that's not important for this context. Uh were relegated way, way over to the right side of the ballot, like really hard to find. Uh, and these candidates were standing in between the Camden County Democratic Committee back candidates and the actual people who were running for office to challenge them. So this guy, Jason Witt, I finally get him on the phone. By the way, I've tried all, I think it was six to eight of these candidates this time. I got one of them on the phone actually, who actually did an interview. And one of them said, oh, I'm just walking into my job. I'll call you back. And of course, never heard from her again. Tried calling her a bunch of times. But so this guy, Jason, Witt, I said, so, so why are you running? And he said, quote, just stuff like parks and stuff like that, how kids don't really have anywhere to go or anything like that. He said, uh, it's mostly like, I don't know. I didn't really think it was going to be taken as seriously as it's being taken. In other words, I didn't think any reporter was actually going to call me and ask why I'm running. And his his ballot was signed by a couple uh, board of education members uh, from one of the Camden County towns uh, who are very closely linked with the Norcross machine. I mean, so like 
I, I will put the disclaimer that I cannot prove these people's intentions to run. I can say all the evidence surrounding their run indicates that they had no intention of running a real campaign. And, and there's plenty of evidence that they were um, uh, helped to run for office by people um, with jobs that uh, that are linked to uh, to Norcross's uh, political machine. And now you're you're a reporter. You cannot state things based on speculation, especially when it comes to political reporting. You could do it. For me as a layman, just based on the facts you give me, you give me a number of facts there, I am left to read that and go, well, in my mind, and I'm not putting words in your mouth here, you might envision a scenario where someone gets told, hey, well, we'll how would you like this envelope full of cash? It just means you're going to be running for Congress this year. Keep your mouth shut. Congratulations, your name is vaguely similar to someone else who's running. Because you can see... Again, right? You've got everybody who, like me, goes, I vote Democrat, but I'm not going to research county freeholder. I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't have the time or inclination. That's, that's I think, most people. Uh, and then if you go, but I heard there's these progressives trying to shake stuff up. What was that guy's name? James Smith? And then they might have a Jim Smythe on the ballot. They might have a John Smithers. You could really play some games with that if you get to organize the ballot. And it's just a matter of finding those people who are going to be okay playing ball and Maybe they, you can start to connect some dots. And again, I'm not saying you're saying this, but you start to really fantasize here. You go, well, maybe this is a person who wanted a zoning permit on some land that they own. And maybe that's going to move a little quicker than they thought. Maybe. You don't know. You yeah, don't one know. of the hard things about political reporting is you just, you, I mean, you can't tell. You know, and, and right. I, I, of course, wouldn't speculate as to the motives of why Jason Witt decided to run. Uh, or why any of these other candidates decide to run. Who knows? It could be a billion things. But I can tell you, based on all the evidence I've seen, that these people demonstrated no intention to actually want to run a true campaign for office. That's that's what I can give you. And that's a you know, fact. If, if other pe- that's the fact. Yeah, that's, or at me, least that's the circumstantial our, evidence. Leave it to yeah. me and our listeners to brainstorm and speculate on the best and funniest possible ways <laughs> that people may have been convinced to do this. The speculation is not for you. But I mean, maybe he did care about uh, stuff like park, parks and parks stuff like and that. Stuff like that, yes. And how kids don't really have anywhere to go. I mean, that's a valid thing. I certainly think kids do need parks and open space. So. Listen. If there parks and stuff, this is <laughs> there's a reason this is a well known, well known political rallying cry all over this state for generations. Everybody wants better parks and stuff. I'm not saying that parks and stuff. It's just not the only thing you run on, and you can see, um, you can see how this is. There's like a real loop here, which is that this is a system that is, you know. Who knows how well it's run? Again, no speculation involved. It's certainly a system that's built in a way that could invite corruption, clearly, that could invite system rigging, clearly. Again, not going to put any, you know, the the story you just laid out certainly uh, feels like the winds are blowing that way without facts. But I'm going to do that. But I also have to imagine it's almost an impossible system to change if it's the lawmakers themselves who have gotten their positions within this system. They're the people who are least least interested in changing a system that they have gotten their jobs via. But, I mean, that's right. And uh, there is a lawsuit. It's probably a long shot as a lawsuit uh, filed by some progressive groups, the labor union, that's trying to challenge this whole idea of a county line. 
And that's been dragging on for, I think it's been going on a year or so now. And it will probably keep going on longer. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, when the system, you know, when the people who write the rules are there because of the rules, uh, or at least if the rules contributed to that, there's not a lot of motivation to do that. I'll, I'll also say, you know, some of the other things in New Jersey is like uh, one of the the weird things about this state is that you have, you know, it goes back to what Ben Franklin called a barrel tapped at both ends, right? Most people to this day, at least a lot of people still get their news from the TV local news from either the New York city news or the Philadelphia news. And those stations, they have some New Jersey reporting to be fair, but it's dominated by Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania suburbs and by New York and the, and the, and the New York state suburbs, of New York city, New Jersey, despite having a huge population, doesn't get that much TV coverage. And the only TV station of its own is, is, is public TV, which, you know, they do an admirable job, but, People don't really, not a lot of people watch it. And um, uh, newspapers have declined all over the country. That especially hurts a place like New Jersey that depends on those for the local government of government, uh, local <laughs> government of coverage, uh, local coverage of government. And uh, add to that the just sheer amount of government in New Jersey with all the towns and the counties and the authorities and the state. And you, you just don't have a lot of opportunity to shine a spotlight on anything. And uh, the more attention you give these things, the more exposure there is, the more the public knows about it, and the less opportunity there is for shenanigans. So New Jersey kind of have a perfect storm for a lot of shenanigans. You can fly under the radar real easy when there's no... You really can. I, I wonder if you're like me where I'm going, I hate this. I assume this is part of why my taxes are so high. But it's also like, game of goddamn thrones there's something really intriguing and and fascinating and entertaining about it too oh yeah i mean new jersey politics has some legendary stories uh some of the politicians some of the uh there's been great politicians here uh and there's been uh scoundrels Uh, and some some of the scoundrels are such amazing scoundrels that you almost i mean it's sort of like watching a mob movie like you don't want to root for the guy but you really kind of enjoy watching them you know, is, like, is, is there one name that comes to mind where you go, I wish more people knew about X and then we can go do an episode, like a mini episode. Oh yeah. Episode? I've got one for you. I've got Who's one this? for you. All right. Um, David Friedland, uh, F R I E D L A N D. Uh, he was an assemblyman and state Senator. Uh, he got convicted of a kick, kickback scheme. The, con- the type of corruption itself was, is, is nothing exciting. Just like, you know, a kickback on a uh, on a loan that he secured for a union pension fund. But after he got convicted, he started cooperating with the feds while cooperating, got involved in another kickback scheme. So he was about to serve some real prison time. So he fakes his own death in a scuba diving accident in the Bahamas. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I have I, vague. Like I am in an, I am a Jersey obsessive and i am only vaguely aware of this as you're saying it i'm going yeah 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 i've heard of this so i just can't so- nobody's made a movie of this yet yeah i i don't know how and uh so he he fakes his own death i don't know how many years it was but they were pretty much suspicious of him immediately uh and uh eventually uh they catch up with him he's in the maldives over by sri lanka and uh part of the problem was that he set up a successful chain of 
scuba diving uh, stores and uh, got wealthy and successful and got noticed. And so he got caught and uh, eventually got uh, repatriated and did some prison time. He's still alive today. He's in his 80s. I think he's living somewhere in the Caribbean. There's actually, I, I, I probably shouldn't say too much because I don't know if it's public and, and I don't think you want me to say, but there, there is a New Jersey politician who is, uh, who has for years been working on a book about. So hopefully someday that will be published. Okay. But that is, that, is, that is one story that's like, wow, I can't believe, no one's really told that to. Um, we will commit to, yeah. maybe for our Patreon, maybe I'll say patrons, keep, uh, keep your eyes open. We're going to do a deep dive into that specific story sometime soon. I may follow up with you on this, Matt. Uh, get the rest of the gang involved, bounce some stuff off you. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, I should mention there's there's been, of course, every single American Hustle based on uh, I just want to bring it back because American Hustle, the movie from, I think, 2013 is based on a former mayor of Camden, Angelo uh, Arichetti. Um, and just to bring it back to Norcross, I believe Norcross as a uh, as a very young man, maybe even as a teenager, was a was a driver for him. So perfect. Perfect. <laughs> there, there you go. So let me ask you this, because you're someone who sees all these dots and can help me connect them. Um, I live in Morris County now and I, I've had a very exciting, like as far as being like in this era where people are very politically engaged, I've had a very exciting time. I was living in Jackson Heights, Queens, uh, when AOC took out Joe Crowley. I mean like, and AOC was one day I met AOC. She was canvassing at the end of my block This is before she, and, and, you know, this incredibly politically engaged neighborhood of immigrants and this stronghold of LGBTQ rights and like, grassroots street level politics. It's so exciting. Then I move out here to a district um, not long after Mikey Sherrill takes out the Freelingheisen mm. regime, right? The dynasty. Now for anybody, a lot of people know this immediately brings Mikey Sherrill's on the claim. Um, I want to ask you to piece together some dots for me because I'm a big fan of both of these politicians having lived in their districts. Very, very different people, right? Like AOC is the firebrand. Mikey Sherrill's a, a blue dog, a veteran, a, a district attorney, like very much a Democrat built to succeed in a, a shifting Republican district. Now, I got to ask you a couple things about this story. One, the Freelingheisens, were they one of these machines? How did she take them out? What's that like for you as a reporter to see? And two, I read an article that was about an event Mikey did um, where one of the elected Norcross, I think the, the Norcross brother who is elected was present and all these people start to speculate, okay, from what I'm reading, this means, let's say Cory Brooker becomes the department, uh, the, you know, the secretary of something or other. Let's say... Bob Menendez takes another weird plane ride and gets taken out for good. Maybe Mikey Sherrill is someone who has the national spotlight to, to be statewide and she might need the Norcross's help back then. That's the speculation. So I wanted to know those two aspects of this. One, when you are reporting in New Jersey politics and you see what happens with the Freelingheisens, what's your perspective? And two, is this type of thing you go, even someone like Mikey who seems to me like has some bona fides that supersede needing to play these games, seems like maybe needs to play these games. Yeah, I think, um, well, with the Freelingheisens, that's another aspect of New Jersey politics, a sort of one that's dying out a bit, still exists, but this is like when you think of the Christie Whitmans, the Canes, 
the, uh, the Freelinghuisens. These are families that have been in New Jersey and powerful in New Jersey for centuries. Uh, it's a different type. You know, the, a lot of political machines we think of when we think of New Jersey, we think of Hudson County, Frank Hager, Camden County, which is more like the sort of the ones that came out of the working class immigrant populations and grew up from that which is very different from the blue-blooded ones of, of historical New Jersey. Um, what happened with Friedlandhuisen is, uh, I mean, he was so entrenched that, like, there's a famous incident with Michael Moore, uh, back when he had this show TV Nation back in the 90s. Uh, maybe you remember this because you were living in New Jersey at the time. He, um, he, uh, there was no challenger to Rodney Friedlandhuisen. I think this was his first or first election in 94, maybe his second election. Uh, and uh, Michael Moore attempted to to get a ficus tree uh, to run against him. And he actually brought one into the, uh, into the office to register it um, as a candidate and unfortunately was not successful. But that's how entrenched this guy was in the nineties. What happened? Freelingheisen is a very kind of old school, more moderate Republican. And uh, even so as 2018 approached, he saw the writing on the wall with Trump because Trump changed uh, Republicanism in a lot of ways, and he changed New Jersey. Morris County, uh, where you live now, is a historically Republican county. And at the county level, it is still entirely uh, controlled by Republicans. But for the first time, and I'm not sure how long, but it voted for, like, Joe Biden won Morris County. And that just shows you the different kind of Republicans, because Trump hemorrhaged to the sort of wealthier, uh, heavily educated Republicans that that make up so much of North and Central Jersey that have really driven the party there. And before the 2018 midterms, Freelingheisen saw how strong the backlash against Trump was. And I think he just decided, I'm done. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw that he was going to get infected with this. And I think he didn't want to, didn't want to, I don't know if he didn't want to tarnish himself with the Trumpism, but he certainly thought it wasn't worth it. So he bowed out decided not to run for re-election and uh, a very, very, very conservative assemblyman named Jay Weber uh, was the Republican nominee. It was against uh, Mikey Sherrill. The district is not just Morris County. It includes parts of Essex, uh, a couple others, but uh, Montclair famously, which is Montclair, a part of Montclair. Yeah. Like half Probably of Montclair. Of more, yeah. About half of Montclair portions of my old hometown of West Orange. Just, Montclair, though, is a place where it's probably as AOC as you're going to get in North Jersey. Sure. Yeah. Very, uh, the People's Republic is Montclair, one of the real, you know, uh, liberal bastions of the state. But she, um, so very conservative guy, ran very pro-Trump, raised money with Trump, uh, ran ads of like uh, violence sweeping the cities, burned out cars, stuff like that, said Democrats are violent. She beat him by like 14 points. Like she was favored to win that election, I think, at that time because the Trump backlash was up, but 14 points, that was a freaking blowout. Uh, and uh, so she's really after that, a, a huge rock star in Democratic politics. And she's also interesting in that you can compare her to AOC. She's not uh, a progressive like AOC is. And you, you kind of can't be in that district. But she rode a wave of progressivism. Uh, she has been one of the few Democrats in New Jersey I've seen who's really been able to harness that movement. They still like her. They still support her while being this blue dog in Washington, while voting against Nancy Pelosi as speaker. Uh, and uh, 
So she's really been able to uh, walk the middle there in a way that few have. And I think that's what makes her people really talk about her for that and her background as a, uh, you know, as a military helicopter pilot and as a federal prosecutor. It just is a really strong background for a potential statewide candidate. And that's why you mentioned someone like Donald Norcross. You know, when the Norcrosses, they want to make Donald Norcross a senator. And they want to make Steve Sweeney a United governor. States, a United States, a United States senator. That's right. He's a he's a member of the House of Representatives right now. And they want Steve Sweeney wants to be governor. And when they look up north and they're looking at you know who our potential rivals are, uh, that's a really big, really big rival. So that machine, that, what in it? So there's. I get, this is speculation. So you phrase it how you have to within the realms of your of your professionalism, but. Mikey Sherrill, the Norcross family, Steve Sweeney. These are people who know each other. These are people who have discussed things. These are people from the same state. And there's some level on which they're thinking about how to get things done as legislators. And they need to talk that way. And there's also times where there's probably doors that are shut and everybody needs to sit down and go, what's the long-term game plan for all of us? And is there any way for us to all benefit from each other? And this is, this is part of politics in general. And in Jersey, it seems like has to be, has to be, there has to be those sit downs. There's always uh, sit downs. It's often, you know, with county chairs, there's always meetings. There's people famously always hash these things out at diners, uh, being Jersey and everything. Uh, with someone like this, I will say in this case, there, there has always been a political uh, faction in the, you know, between North and South, usually it's like so the South is almost always in lockstep. They have their stuff together. Uh, the North is much more riven by like local power brokers, local. Yeah. And uh, so the North is usually not on the same page. And that's how the South succeeds in part, because they take off parts of the North. They take off certain power brokers in the North. In 2009, you know, uh, Chris Christie was close, not just with um, George Norcross, but Joe D will deny this forever, but you know, a lot suspect he helped Christie went to that's Joe DiVincenzo, the boss of Essex County. You're a native Essex County. I wanted uh, to bring him an elected official. And actual, let me talk about this because Joe D I wanted to ask you about it. There's been a, cause West Orange, New Jersey born and raised proud of it. Fascinated by it. Someone should, someone smarter and more organized than me should be breaking down this town. But one, there's a, a long-running joke, because you look at the taxes up there. West Orange, you're talking 15, 16, 17 grand. Maplewood, 20 grand. Montclair, 21, 22 grand a year in county taxes. And there's a long-running joke I've heard since I was a kid, which is, well, you know, the county politicians, they need in-ground pools. So, yeah, we got to pay these taxes. Now, Joe D is uh, – everybody calls him Joe D. Like, people like me, people call him Joe D. Like, this is what voters call this guy. He's pretty beloved. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's well known. Um, people really do love him. They see him as a guy who gets stuff done. And, and to be fair, he's he's very effective as a county executive. I can't, I can't argue with that. You look at a lot of the articles about Essex County kind of leading the charge in a good way with COVID vaccinations. He was on top of it. He was in all those articles saying things that I like. But you would say boss. You would say boss is a word that you are comfortable applying to Joe D at Essex County. Sure. I mean, I would say that boss is a fair characterization of anyone who wields a lot of influences 
in terms of who runs for what offices and who gets what jobs. And, and, and it's, I mean, he's even boss by nature of his job as the county executive. He is the executive of the county. He's like the president of Essex County. So, and, and Essex County, while it has county commissioners, legislators, it's really, you know, the executive is the real power there. So, right. so even technically he is a boss, but he's also has a lot of sway. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I got to give Jody credit because, uh, this is a guy who I have written very, very critical stories over the years and uh, even gotten him in trouble with the state's uh, campaign finance agency. And, <laughs> you, and he still talks to me and shakes my hand. Uh, some of my, yeah, some of my, uh, my story, just by the way, because yeah, he was, notes. yes, it has. It's just because I've, I've gone into detail about how he used his campaign account for a lot of expenses that are very, uh, that, that the state's campaign finance agency felt were, personal expenses or expenses, uh, that were not, um, not permitted to be spent, uh, the way he was spending them. Uh, but even so I've done all this reporting and Jody always has a smile for me. He always shakes my hand. He takes my calls. I have to give him respect for that. Um, a politician through and through. Is, and, uh, you know, I don't have that uh, kind of relationship with, with, um, with all the political bosses. Uh, I'm an Essex right County about. guy. I can tell you this. Joe D's the boss of the game, but he knows you're just playing the game. It's an ecosystem, baby. And JD, Jody knows everybody's got to eat. You're just trying to put food on your family's table like everybody else. You're doing your <laughs> job. Jody knows that this is the Essex County way. I have to imagine Essex County might be an important thing in the sense that if you're the boss of a county that has the state's largest city, and some money hubs like Essex Fells and Montclair and Short Hills, and you got you got you got the power of the largest city, and the money of some of those suburbs. You probably are someone that people look to in a big way because that's a lot of votes and a lot of money, and not everybody could say that. I don't think. Oh, yeah. Essex County consistently produces the most votes for Democratic statewide candidates uh, in New Jersey and New York County. It's the uh, Oh, there's just a census, so I don't want to say for sure, but I think it's the second uh, most populous county, second or third most populous county in New Jersey. I have to look at whether it's that or Middlesex, but it's um, and and uh, it's it's key. Any Democrat who wants to run, like if you want to be governor, if you want to be U.S. senator, and you're a Democrat, you need Essex County. You so need if you're running for governor, when you before you even announce you're running, would you say you've probably had a phone call with Jody? You, you've probably you've probably gone to and you've sat down for a meal with him because he's there like every day. <laughs> it's not even just it's not even just a phone call. It's a sit down. Yeah, generally you'll, you'll have a sit down with him and, and people so, close to him for sure. I gotta ask: Is there like a bullet point list of I would I am if you can get a meal with George Norcross? He's probably Norcross sounds like he's probably harder to get into that schedule. He's running an entire half of the state. Joe D gets a sit down. Who are some of the other people out here who get sit downs? Like I am an Essex County uh, native, so I know the legend of Joe D, but there's probably other people listening from other counties who are going, I'm from blah, blah, blah. And this, this other person's gotta be one of these people. Are there other, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, here's the people who you need their handshake before you run for statewide office. Yeah, sure. A lot of them shift. And, you know, a lot of people are like the County chairs for four, eight years, whatever. And then they, uh, they uh, go, but um, there are certain ones who are just there who have developed a um, smaller political machine or a smaller constituency. And by the way, when I talk about machines, this is kind of like they're not always necessarily bad things. And it's not always um, 
about greed necessarily. I mean, one of the most powerful uh, machine politicians in New Jersey is a state senator who's also actually primarily he's the mayor of Union City. That's his passion. That's his main job. His, his name's Brian Stack. And what makes him most impressive is this is like a white guy in charge of a very heavily Hispanic city. I don't think he's fluent in Spanish. Uh, wow. And uh, somehow he gets a massive Cuban population, huge Cuban population, and and other Hispanic groups overwhelmingly. Uh, but he absolutely commands the city and is beloved there. I mean, I remember going. This was years ago, but I go to rallies. You know, for him, people are carrying like signs of him, like almost like. Uh, I don't want to compare him to a dictator, but that's kind of what it reminded me of. And when he wins re-election with like 90%, those are like almost Saddam Hussein-like numbers. But if you actually look at the way he governs and how much, <laughs> how much time he spends governing this city, and everything he does as a state senator is pretty much geared towards getting resources to his city. This was another guy, by the way, I should have mentioned, who Chris Christie developed a very close relationship with mm-hmm. and who helped him along. Uh, if you look at the way he runs it, like he really... I don't I've never seen any evidence that he uh, uses a lot of, you know, uh, derives a lot of personal financial benefit from this. There have been scandals. There was a scandal about his ex-wife using, uh, you know, I think a car that the city paid for or something. But, you know, minor stuff. Um, It's a political machine, but it's one that he seems to run for the benefit of his city. I think a lot of people. Uh, would say that, and he's very effective at it. So that's another kind of political boss in New Jersey. But that guy is, uh, when you look at Union City, th- there's no, t- you know, there's no question who runs that place. And I, I do like that you're pointing that out. That there are power brokers who have are working the system responsibly. Like at the end of the day, if you are someone who can foster trust in your communities and who rallies unions, and the unions come to trust that you're protecting their interests as working people. And this leads to a generation of people going, we're just going to go with what this person said because they've never led us astray. That is the system as it's built. And although the system seems concerning, it's good to see that not everybody would be abusing it. That's good to hear. And yeah, I mean, not I think, saying anybody else we mentioned has abused it, but like you said, right. there's also people in the Maldives hiding from the <laughs> government from time to time. Welcome to New Jersey. Yeah, I think there's a lot to argue for changing this system. I think this system, not necessarily everyone who plays the game, you know, has good or bad intentions, but there's a lot of arguments to be made that um, the system can foster uh, corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, things like the county line and stuff like that. If politicians had to watch their back more, uh, there's a lot to be said that if politicians had to worry about people coming up on them and challenging them, they would uh, they would right. be a little more more careful and a little more responsible. Right. Which is part of why, because Joe Crowley ran the Queens Democratic machine. And when AOC took him out, people were going, he was the boss. He was yeah. the boss. How did that happen? So, OK, we're hearing about the mayor of Union City. Joe D gets a sit down. Who else gets to sit down? Anybody else come to mind who you go hear some of the lovable political movers and shakers of New Jersey right now? Uh, I mean, can, if I if I want to get if I'm if I'm looking to get if I'm looking to jump to the front of the line next time I'm if I'm trying to install a shed and the town's giving me a hard time, Morris County. Who more who in Morris County should I be trying to rub elbows with to get to, to get to the front of the line here? Well, Morris, Morris County is is one of the less machine dominated. Uh, places. So interestingly, so Morris County, traditionally Republican and uh, the Republicans have been, there have been signs that they could start losing 
eventually. And I don't think they've lost a seat on at the county level since the 1970s, I want to say. But there are signs that that could happen soon. The last election, relatively close on the county level. Um, Morris County is one of the less machine-dominated places in the state. Uh, It actually, until recently, the Morris County Republicans did not have, they were one of the only places in New Jersey that did not use the system of the quote-unquote line. But then they changed it this last election. They actually uh, decided that they would have the line. Because they felt... Is part of that the Freelingheisen downfall, that Freelingheisen's gravity maybe was a de facto... I think they think that might that might have contributed to. It. I think it was the general feeling that they see the ground sort of shifting a bit, so they want to kind of strengthen the um, mm-hmm. the control of the party a little bit. Because Morris County Republicans have historically fought a lot amongst each other. In fact, Chris Christie, who came uh, came up politically there, he grew up in Livingston, but politically he started his career in Morris County and still lives there. Uh, he uh, was um, a, briefly a freeholder. Uh, and uh, he was actually he he was defeated as a freeholder after his first term and not only defeated, but sued by another freeholder uh, for an ad he did about him that suggested some legal problems for him. Perfect. And uh, actually lost that law. Actually, I think he had to settle. I, mean, I can't remember. He lost the lawsuit to settle, but it wasn't good for him either way. And then, you know, out of the ashes became U.S. attorney, which got him, you know, sprangboard him to governor. Uh, but. Um, uh, yeah, I would say Morris is one of the less machine-dominated places. If you're going to be like an upstart, you know, better better Morris than other parts of New Jersey. Newark famously had the Sharp James machine. A lot of people found out about that because of the uh, documentary Cory Booker. Yeah, yeah. Now it's Ross Baraka, who the sense I get is pretty beloved in New- in Newark. Is this did that machine go away? Has the Baraka family maybe taken the reins of it, or is there still is it still running strong? Yeah, I think with, uh, you know, it's it's different people, but it's still a machine. They still control a lot of jobs. There's still patronage. And uh, Raz Baraka, you know, I don't cover Newark that closely because sometimes I'm like, you know, Newark is its own whole other oh. world. And, like, I don't know how to dip into that and do the job that needs to be done. There are a few reporters who do a good job uh, covering Newark. So I can't pretend to be an expert on Raz Baraka, but, I mean, he is um, – I definitely – he's definitely popular there. He doesn't even appear to have a challenger uh, for his next election. Uh, and he could be in for a long time. He's really, what struck me about him is he kind of came in and he was viewed as a radical, you know, like, uh, people were scared of him. George Norcross teamed up with, uh, Joe D to, you know, support this, the guy who ran against him, uh, during his first race, Shavar Jeffries, and they poured millions of dollars into trying to make sure that Baraka was not elected. But once he came in, he managed to sort of triangulate with the, uh, the business community in Newark with, you know, his credibility as a native son, as a native son from a beloved family uh, there, who is father, famous poet, you know, and uh, he's managed to really uh, get sort of all the sides working together. And he, and he did it really quickly. Um, so it's, it's, it's been pretty impressive to watch, but it's absolutely uh, from everything I know about it without doing much deep reporting in there. Of course it is a political machine, but that's, that's kind of the way they, you know, the state operates. You mentioned that there's some smaller machines that cover almost micro areas. Are there any that are kind of, how would I put it? Are there any places that are kind of hilariously small based on the influence they wield? That makes uh, sense. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Stack really is mainly concentrated in Union City, which is not a big city. And uh, he wields a lot of influence because uh, if, if you need him for a crucial vote, you know, whatever, you know, you got to you got to help. You got to help Union City. If you're helping Union City, he's your friend. Uh, right next to him, uh, Nick Sacco, uh, another state senator and another mayor. By the way, these guys are New Jersey used to have. It's it's rarer now, but New Jersey used to have a thing where elected officials can do multiple elected jobs at once. That's why you have state senators slash mayors. Um, mm-hmm. They banned it in 2007, except the people who were already there, like Brian Stack and Nick Sacco, got grandfathered in. Got so um, the mayor of North Bergen, right next to Union City up in northern Hudson County, you know, very dense. I mean, mo- a lot of New Jerseyans listen. They don't need me to explain what Hudson County is like, but it's like very urban part of New Jersey. And um Another city there, he has complete control over this city. It is a huge patronage operation. Uh, in fact, I think Nick Sacco's has been described to me. The machine he runs is much more old school, like you know the uh, the Hudson County of the 1930s and 40s than, than other stuff is today. And uh, he was also a school administrator there with a massive salary. Uh, I think he's pulling in his pensions combined. Like he recently retired. It's kind of funny because he was also the assistant superintendent of North Bergen Public Schools, but everybody know knew who the you know was really running this show there. Uh, his pensions, based on his, if you take his pension from uh, the North Bergen school job that he just retired from, along with his current job as state senator and mayor, uh, it's somewhere around three hundred thousand dollars a year he's pulling in, okay. a little okay. more, a little less. You, you can you know you, you can Google it and find the actual number. He runs a very effective and powerful political machine. Funny story about him, uh, or not how funny it is or whatever, but uh, there was a piece of legislation quickly moving through the legislature that was going to um, eliminate mandatory minimum penalties for most nonviolent crimes, with the exception of some political corruption offenses, including official misconduct. Uh, All of a sudden, this bill, without even saying what the amendment was, in a committee meeting uh, in the State Senate Judiciary Committee, they amend it. Uh, They don't even read out what the amendment is. They just say, we're changing the bill. They vote on it. Only later, when you can actually read the bill itself after it's been amended, did you see that it was amended to also include official misconduct, this offense, which is used to prosecute political corruption and often uh, police officers and stuff, too. Uh, all of a sudden, this was included in the offenses that mandatory minimum sentences no longer apply to under this proposed legislation. Nick Sacco had suggested that amendment. It just so happens that Nick Sacco's uh, partner, his longtime girlfriend's son, is uh, facing uh official misconduct. Uh, it's being prosecuted for official misconduct right now. And if convicted, uh, could face uh, could face a five-year mandatory minimum sentence. And this bill would change that. Of course, Sacco said it has nothing to do with that. I'm just pointing out that one thing uh, happened and the other thing is a fact. <laughs> I really am fascinated because anybody who knows, you know, you've got like, Boulevard East, which you kind of come up from Hoboken into Weehawken and you're up there on the cliff and you go through Union City, Guttenberg, West New York, North Bergen. That is a, and eventually you're up near Fort Lee, up near the George Washington Bridge. It's a pretty short drive. I mean, 
20 minutes, you're probably from Hoboken to the George Washington Bridge, just and you drive through what I just found out two different, very entrenched political machines just in that short drive. You're driving through territories that are locked down for these power brokers. That is astounding. When I think of it from the perspective of, I've done that drive. It does not take long. And I've driven right from Brian Stack's territory straight through Nick Sacco's. And you look at Guttenberg. I mean, that's a town. Why does that town exist? It's literally a fifth of a square mile. Like, you think Hoboken is small. Guttenberg is like a town that is basically an apartment complex. Oh, yeah. It's just condo. It's just people stacked on top of each other. And I have to bet there's a, if they don't have their own person running things, that there's some Venn diagram of Sacco gets the votes out from this tower and Stack gets the vote that it must help you run a political machine when you come from towns where you go, I can get a whole bill, right? If you're in an urban area, you go, these buildings are just going to vote for whoever we tell them to. And we're going to knock on the doors. And it's the most densely populated stretch of the most densely populated state. And I can arrange to have a voting booth put at the steps that they exit on the way out of their building or right across the street goes a long way when you think about it like that makes Absolutely. sense Absolutely. and over the years you know especially in some of the, in like north bergen places like this this hasn't been from my reporting but from others there's been a lot of allegations about you know people in public housing and how they you know got into the public and that you have to you have to do certain things to you know stay in the good graces of the power or you could have trouble keeping got it your apartment there's all kinds of things and you know i one of the hard things about being a reporter is there's so much that goes on that you can't cover um, and, uh, but you know, what's going on and it's a big, it's a big state in population, not an area, but there's, you know, there's 9 million people in New Jersey can't cover everything. And that means every, that's another thing that I have to imagine you must see physically. It's such a small state. All of these people know each other. All of these people cross paths. Whoever's running Atlantic city at any given time they're just a few hours from whoever's running Jersey city at any given time. And those people are driving past whoever runs Middlesex County on their way to meet each other. And Patterson and Newark are not a far drive from each other. And neither is that far from Camden. And I have to imagine it. There's, I'm sure this type of stuff happens everywhere. Can't be too many places where, the Venn diagram of these people's influences crosses over as much as it does. Yeah. I feel like in a lot of the bigger States, you know, they, they usually will have a legislative session for a small portion of the year. And that's when everyone gets together and works out their deals and everyone's staying at probably hotels. Uh, but in Jersey, and, and, and this is kind of an unfortunate thing for Trenton because we're such a, a small state geographically that nobody stays in Trenton and hangs out there. They go there and they vote. And they leave and they can hang out anywhere because, you know, from Cape May to, to, to Sussex County, you're talking about three and a half, like the, the farthest you can go, what, three and a half hour drive, four hour drive tops without traffic. So it's uh, anyone can meet anyone anywhere. And, and I almost feel like Trenton would have more, it would benefit more from being the state capital if we were a geographically larger state. Uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, people travel the state constantly meeting, talking, plotting their future uh, happens every day. This has been exactly what I hoped it would be. You have not only verified my suspicions about how this place works, but you have done a 
incredibly eloquent job of making me understand it more than I ever have and have also made it clear that there's for the layman like me, you've explained it in a way I get while also making it clear there's a swirling mess that you have to analyze and look at as a reporter that would be actually impossible for someone like me to learn about in an hour. God bless you for staying on top of it and trying to let everybody know what's going on. Keep putting the screws to Joe D. I bet he quietly loves it. I know Essex <laughs> County people and I know Essex County people. They like, uh, they like, they, it almost wakes them up when they take one on the chin. It makes them, it wakes them up. So I'm sure the guy has a quiet love for you. Are there any things we haven't talked about now that you kind of see why I reached out? Are there any things that we haven't talked about that might be coming to mind where you're going, oh, there's this aspect of New Jersey state politics that we haven't touched on that you might find really interesting. The county line is one. The machines are the other, obviously, in a big way. The, the glad handing, the diner meetups. I love all of those. Are there any other things there? that I might not realize or that those of us who just go to the voting booth when they tell us to in November might not realize that you get to see that, uh, that we will find interesting. Well, this is very current, but one of the things I've been noticing, uh, and we didn't talk much about Republicans because Democrats have really dominated this state lately. Um, but there are Republican areas still ocean County, famously ocean County, very pro Trump County, Sussex County, Warren County, to a lesser extent, you know, Hunter and Morris, uh, and those are um, more the Reagan Republicans, Hunter and sure, Morris. Sure, yeah, more so, more so Morris than Hunter. But yeah, and um, but one of the things is like we talked about Republican governors winning the state, and it happens again and again and again. But I'm wondering if that is going to continue with the direction the Republican Party has taken, because New Jersey has demonstrated that it is not down with Trumpism. It, you know, we're talking about the suburbanites. The story that. This, the national story of what happened to the Republican Party is even more pronounced here in terms of the suburbanites who have always voted Republicans leaving the party in trove. But New Jersey still has a strong Republican pro-Trump base. This, you know, this is a, uh, it's still thousands and thousands of people. And in a lot of cases, they're still dictating the party's politics, right? So right now we have a Republican who was by all accounts a moderate uh, when he was an assemblyman, Jack Chatterelli. He's running for uh, against Phil Murphy for governor right now. And he's having to cope with like, how do I not lose these people? How do I keep these people enthused who believe that, you know, who believe in myths about the 2020 election, who believe that whatever Trump says goes, he's having to grapple with how do I keep the support of these people and get them to show up and vote? And how do I not alienate these suburban voters that New Jersey Republicans used to almost be able to take for granted. And I feel like New Jersey is on the verge of becoming a one-party state. Uh, and even though Democrats as maybe one party and fight amongst each other all the time, uh, no matter you know what your political persuasion, I always believe it's better to have an exchange of ideas and to have viable, at least two viable political parties. Uh, I don't know if that's gonna continue with Republicans outside of the, uh, on the state level in New Jersey. They'll always have a couple people in the House of Representatives and they'll always have some counties that are Republican controlled. but. If Republicanism keeps down this Trump road, uh, it might just be doomed in New Jersey for good. And and that's that's something to keep an eye on. It's really fascinating. I'll tell you, I moved to this area in Morris County. It's really nice. It's really quiet. But this neighborhood's a lot of older people. And 
we just meet my wife and I show up where these artists who had been living in the city for decades. And we wondered, are people going to like us? And all the younger people, from what I can tell, seem to be Democrats. The other people we meet who are raising kids, can't speak for all of them, but the ones who are vocal about it. And then we have a very funny thing in our neighborhood, which is, um, you know, I just due to the privacy of my family, I don't, I, 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 I have mentioned that I live outside of Morristown. I can tell you that one thing that became very clear to everybody in this neighborhood was anytime they announced that Trump would be at Bedminster, we realized they must fly Air Force One to the Morristown Regional Airport and have helicopters waiting because invariably they'll announce he's going to be at Bedminster. And then within the next 48 hours, there would be a fleet of very low flying helicopters that would come right over our neighborhood. It happened like clockwork. We realized, oh, wow, this is the thing. And I would see some, and again, not speaking for everybody, in case any of my neighbors hear this, there were some Trump signs up, but I saw a lot of people shaking their heads. And I saw one of my neighbors put up a sign that said, I might be a Republican, but I'm not an idiot. Vote Biden. And I went, oh, that is, I, it, it has been rare in my life where you read about these sort of trends and then you see an actual sign go up on your block where you go, oh, there's a Trump sign on one end of the block. And then there's this pro-Biden Republican sign on the other end of the block. And people are actually booing at helicopters in the sky. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is weird to have it be this visceral and this much in my daily life that the usually this is stuff you read about Nate Silver tracking and you're just reading numbers. Yeah, but to actually see it, and you, you're even, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of people moving from the city. I, I, I should have also mentioned, in addition to the traditional Republicans who have lived there a long time, you have an influx of more liberal people from New York City, especially, I'm sure you've noticed, post-pandemic. Uh, yeah. That's also driving the change there. And I, I think that's, that's a big uh, potential problem for, for Republicans in New Jersey. Most of them, thankfully, for the Republicans, I bet the Republicans are going, most of them are still just going to Montclair and Maplewood. Most of them are just <laughs> still lining up. To, but no, no, no. I tell you what, if you guys, Republicans, look it up. Biden won Morris County by two votes. Exactly. It was me and my wife moving here. It was two liberal <laughs> artists. It was the two of us. That's That was those two votes. Plus, yeah, that woman, Rosemary Becky. Becky uh, Rosemary Becky. Sure. Did not do you any favors. She didn't do you any uh, Republicans. That, it's exactly what you said, though. I'm like sitting here joking, but you go, oh, the the neighbors I've met, a lot of the Republican neighbors I've met would have craved somebody who is just let's make this about lower taxes and responsible spending and supporting the troops. They they were not happy to have someone running against Mikey Sherrill who was flirting with conspiracy and histrionics. They they. I see exactly what you're saying of no one like that is going to win back the Republicans that I by and large am seeing around me on right. the ones who clearly sat out the last election or even voted Biden. Rosemary Becky was not, she wasn't getting them back. That was some of the stuff that was being said. And it's funny too. You mentioned before a lot of the ads when people are running on this idea of our cities are on fire and you go, that's never going to work in New Jersey because so many people here commute to New York yeah, City. And they see New York City every day. It's yeah. not on fire, and they see how unfair that is. And that's a city. New York City and Philadelphia are cities they have great love for as people who work there and maybe lived there for stretches and that 
have so much to do with their families and their well-being and their jobs. And they go, I see what you're saying is not true. I take the train in every day. So I see it right there with you. It's, 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 it's very interesting to hear that New Jersey might be one of the canaries in the coal mine that shows where it's headed. Um, At least for communities like New Jersey, like I can't speak for other states, but in New Jersey, you know, for Republicans, it's just, yikes. I will say, I I, I almost feel like in this discussion, you mentioned it and I should stress that like property taxes in New Jersey, I feel like I shouldn't go this whole episode without acknowledging like what you said, they are insane. And um, they, they really have been, but they, you know, they've gone up less in recent years. And actually this Chris Christie, uh, who enacted this, along with the Democratic legislature, enacted a cap on property taxes that slowed their growth, but they still are incredibly high. Um, there is a certain extent that's caused by patronage, that's caused just by politics as usual. But for the most part, this is just the system we have because we pay for our schools um, mm-hmm. with property taxes, and, uh, and that gets very expensive. So I'm with, Thank you for that, because I did make the joke, the old Essex County <laughs> joke. The county but, politicians need their pools. But I just say that because I don't want to ignore that issue because if we talk about New Jersey politics, I mean, property taxes are, are just incredibly high here and I would hate to, to not mention that. I have to bet it's the one issue that every politician can reliably get people furious and riled up about. I have to imagine that no matter what other political movements are happening at any given year in New Jersey, property taxes, if you can lay out a plan for them that makes people think you can actually fix it, Good start. But yes, not only do your county politicians need in-ground pools, we also have notoriously good schools, uh, great public transit. Okay, we have all those things too, everybody. It's part of the property taxes too. (laughs) And thank you for uh, not letting that one fly by. And I hope I've said nothing that gets you in trouble. And I can't thank you enough. It's uh, really great to pick your brain. And I'd love to follow up with you sometime as uh over the years as we keep talking about jersey because to have somebody who can explain all this stuff in simple ways it's really great that's really yeah, great i want to put one disclaimer everything i just said in the last hour and 10 minutes uh i meant allegedly okay if i didn't say the word allegedly mm-hmm. put, that, put that word on there maybe we'll put it in the title maybe i'll make sure <laughs> the title. maybe this will be called matt friedman tells us what is allegedly in all caps happening in new jersey politics for real we'll say that we'll say that but uh eye-opening fascinating i'm sure we're going to get a lot of comments from people telling us who their local power brokers are the things they've seen in their examples and uh maybe down the line we can have you back and mess around with the whole gang because this is it's very cool stuff and i thank you, you for having i love this thank you chris it was great